Shalom everybody, this is Bill Cloud and welcome to the latest installment in our Hebrew Treasure series. Today we're going to look at and we're going to discuss the Hebrew word Melech. Melech is the Hebrew word for king. Now the very first time that we see the word king in scripture, or perhaps a better way to phrase that is the first time we see the concept of a king alluded to in scripture is found in Genesis chapter 10 by use of the word kingdom or malchut. And so we read in Genesis 10 beginning in verse 8, And Cush begot Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom, and that word there in Hebrew is malchut, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erich and Akkad and Kolne in the land of Shinar. Now, later on in the scripture, we'll see the word king used many times. But the point that in bringing this out here is twofold. Number one, as far as the scripture records, before Nimrod, there were no earthly kings. Only God was king. And Nimrod became a mighty one and ruled over others in defiance of God. And so obviously, from this we see that there are righteous kings and then there are wicked kings. Yet, as we will also see, the word melech conveys the former concept, that is, a righteous king, a righteous ruler. And the second point we wanted to make in mentioning Nimrod's kingdom is this. Nimrod, like all other kings, needed a people. He needed subjects in order to become a mighty one in the earth and in order to establish his kingdom. Put simply, there is no king without a people. Now, where our king is concerned, both of these concepts are important to highlight because, number one, he is a righteous king and he is one who desires to rule a righteous people who willingly and wholeheartedly submit to his will. In essence, to truly be their king, he must possess their hearts and their minds. Now, in an earthly sense, to have anything less results in a divided kingdom. And as we know, a house, or in this case, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Now, where God's kingdom is concerned, we know that it cannot be shaken and it cannot be removed, it can't be divided. And so, if we are to be part of that kingdom, we must submit to his sovereignty completely. And not because he's a tyrant like Nimrod who compels us to go against our will, but we do it because we love him. And so it's recorded in Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. Now getting back to the word melech, Let's look at the root word, malach, spelled exactly the same way, and it means to consult, to consider differing views. And so this root word can also imply advising or an advisor. In scripture, we see this concept when Nehemiah consulted with himself. And so if the word for king stems from a word that means to consult or to advise, we could deduce that a melech, a king, was also someone that should be considered a counselor, which then leads to the concept of 
one who rules, or as one reference work defines it, one who ascends the throne. Now, one of the greater earthly examples of how this seemingly different concept, consult and rule, come together, of course, is in Solomon. He, as we know, was a wise counselor, and he was one who ascended the throne to rule. However, in Yeshua we see, as Yeshua put it, one that is greater than Solomon. And considering him, the prophet Isaiah said this in chapter 9, beginning in verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, there it is, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and his peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And of course, we understand and believe that that prophecy was referring to Shua, the one who was greater than Solomon. Now, Melech is typically translated as king or a sovereign. And that is someone who is regarded as the intellectual head of a people. A derivative of the word refers to having dominion over something or over someone. Yet another related Semitic word means to possess. So not only does a king need a people to rule over, but he also needs a land to possess. A king and a kingdom implies that there is a region, there is a, a piece of property that is to be possessed, a dominion. Of course, where God is concerned, the first thing that comes to mind is the land of Israel. And yes, we acknowledge that the land of Israel is where and, and what he deeded to Abraham and to Abraham's seed, which that would include you and me. And of course, this is where the Messiah will rule and reign from. However, we also see in the scripture that God is not just the king of Israel. But in Psalm 24, verse 1, we're told this, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. And so where the Messiah is concerned, he has been given a dominion that according to Daniel will never end. It says this in Daniel chapter 7, beginning in verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days. And they brought him near, that is, this one that is like the Son of Man. They brought him near before him, and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom, Malchut, a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And again, we're talking about this one likened to the Son of Man, and it shall not pass away, and his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. Of course, that's talking about the Messiah. And so, in short, the Messiah is not just the king of Israel. He's the king of the universe. Now, Yom Teruah, which we also know as the Feast of Trumpets, is the time of year that God is proclaimed as the king of the universe. That is when the shofar is blown to acknowledge his coronation as the sovereign of the universe. 
which then means that he will not share his kingdom with other so-called kings or share his glory with false gods. And so this seems like a good place to introduce this word, a family word to Melech, and it's pronounced Malak, which means to remove a head, and specifically as if you are going to wring off the head of a chicken. That's the example that's given in the reference word. And so this is what it reminds me of. God raises up kings and kingdoms to suit his purposes, and because he's the king of the universe, he can also bring them down when he sees fits. Or let's put it this way. He removes heads. Daniel put it this way in Daniel chapter 2, beginning in verse 20. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings, rings the head off, if you will. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. Now, I find it interesting that the Hebrew spelling for Melech is identical to the spelling for Molech or Moloch. This, of course, is the idol king, if we can use that word, that Israelites sacrifice their children to. And it is said that this word was given the vowel sounds of the Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew word boshet, which is shame, in order to reveal Israel's shame at having participated in such an awful practice. There is yet another related word that comes to us from post-biblical Hebrew, and that word is malach. And malach is a trifle. It's something of no value. It's compounded from two Hebrew words, the first one ma, which means what, and lach, to you. In other words, what is it to you? Because if it is of this world, if it's a false god, it should mean nothing to his people, and that would be the point. Because why would God's people serve idols that can't speak, they can't move, and more importantly, they cannot have a positive impact on our lives? And so multiple times these false gods are relegated as being nothing, non-entities. The word melech is formed by Hebrew letters that when we view them in reverse order, we find that they are in the ordinal sequence of the Aleph Bet. In other words, the Kaf, the last letter, is actually the 11th letter in the Hebrew Aleph Bet. The Lameth is the 12th, and the Mem is the 13th. Now, why is that interesting? Because in this manner, we are looking at the Melech, the King, the Creator, from behind. Remember, Moses asked to see God's glory, and he was told that he could only behold God from behind, as it were. Now, living our lives, we don't always understand his ways as we go through things, most often. Only in retrospect, or from behind, can we grasp God's wisdom. The letter Lamed, which is at the center of the word Melech, infers learning. The word Lomed means to learn. And thus, when we look back upon our lives, if we see how God has guided us all along the way, if we begin to grasp that, we begin to grasp His ways are not ours and His thoughts are far above ours. In other words, when we catch a glimpse of Him from behind, we see that He indeed is Melech, the King. 
We also see, uh, see uh, that most often after the fact that his ways are righteous. And so interestingly, the numerical value of the word melech is 90, which is equivalent to the letter zade. And zade is understood to be emblematic of zadik, a righteous one. In fact, the final letter in melech, the chaf, is understood to allude to a keter or crown that is positioned upon a prostrating king. Now, notice the king is said to be prostrating himself as if in an act of humility. And as far as I'm concerned, that can only allude to one king, that is King Messiah, Yeshua. He is the righteous king. And of him, Jeremiah wrote this in chapter 23, beginning in verse 5. Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king, a melech, shall reign and prosper, and he shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days, and this is in the future, of course, in his days, Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name, whereby he shall be called, the Lord our righteousness. That Zadik. Now, finally, I want to call your attention to the center letter of the word Melech, that is the letter Lamed. And this letter is referred to as the King of Kings among the letters because it towers over all the other Hebrew letters. Now, in the word Melech, it is flanked on one side by the Mem, and that letter is emblematic of dominion, and is flanked on the other side by the letter the one we just mentioned, which is also symbolic, not just of a keter or crown, but the throne, the throne of the king. And so ultimately the word melech points us to the one who is above all, that is the king of kings, hamelech hamalchim. And so in Revelation 19, we're told this, and I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness, he does judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And skipping down to the next verse, he says, and on his vesture and on his thigh a name is written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And with that reading, it seems like the opportune place to conclude our discussion on the word melech or king. So thanks for joining me. Until next time, shalom. Like what you're hearing? Become a Bill Cloud Premium Partner to watch or listen to hundreds of hours of teachings and resources on demand. Go to billcloud.com slash subscribe to start watching today.